what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan. My name is Chris. Chris, how you doing? Doing well. I'm ready to talk some movies. Looking forward to it. Good. We are recording just, uh, I mean, I, I realize you may be listening to the show at home or on the road. It could be any time of the day. I just want to kind of put you in the mood here. We, we're going to set the stage. We're setting the stage. <laughs> it is late night for us. We've just kind of ended a screening of a film that we'll be talking about in one of our reviews. Uh, so Chris has got the Pepsi Cola out ready yes. to kind of keep them going. I had my coffee intake earlier in the evening, so I think we're ready to roll and talk about some movies tonight. Uh, this is Foot Candle Films, and this is our ongoing podcast show where we talk about uh, films, give some reviews of films we've recently caught up with. We also share some movie news or industry news, I guess, things we're hearing about, projects that sound of interest to us that we like to share with one another and talk through. And then we always end the show with a recommendation of a film that we think people ought to check out. Maybe it's one that slipped under the radar uh, for you. Maybe it's one that's just now available to check out online and screen. But we do want to make sure it's a film that you can actually access at home using the miracle of the Internet to do so in most cases. So that's our show format. We have two films to review tonight, Chris. And I love it because there is a theme. It sometimes works out that there's a common theme between the films we review. And tonight, it's an awesome theme. I'm really kind of excited about it. We are going to be reviewing the film Wonder Woman. Uh, that is the new film from the DC Universe uh, and uh, directed by a, a female director. We'll talk about it a little bit. Setting records as being the highest grossing or highest debut of any uh, film directed by a female, which is awesome. I'm really excited to talk about that movie. Then we'll follow it up with a discussion about another uh, film directed by female, and it is Their Finest, starring Gemma Artisan. And uh, did I say that right? Is it Gemma Artisan or Gemma Arterton? My apologies, Miss Arterton. Gemma <laughs> Arterton, and uh, also Bill Nye starring in that film. We'll be discussing that shortly after our review of Wonder Woman. But speaking of Wonder Woman, Chris, are we ready to jump right into that first review? Absolutely. Great. So, first off, let's review our first film, which is Wonder Woman. I used to want to save the world. This beautiful place. But the closer you get, the more you see the great darkness within. What is your mission? To stop the war. What war? The war to end all wars. Weapons far deadlier than you can ever imagine. The war can be ours. Whoever you are, you are in more danger than you think. I cannot stand by while innocent lives are lost. Chris, we have Wonder Woman, which I believe by my count is technically the fourth film of the new DC Universe film filmography. I believe you're correct. Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Batman versus Superman. Yep. Suicide Squad. As much as they would probably like us to forget about that, although it did well, win an Oscar. I'd say forget about all three, personally. <laughs> but I'm saying this is the fourth film. DC's got a little bit of a challenge on its hands. 
All right, let me just set the scene here. You know, you got your biggest, your most probably most iconic superhero, Superman. Man of Steel was supposed to set off this whole new kind of DC universe where they're going to try to pull the Marvel angle and have interconnected storylines and characters coming together for a big team movie soon. And Man of Steel didn't quite light the world on fire. Follow it up with a sequel, which is Batman versus Superman, which right away, that should be a license to print money. And it makes some pretty big money first weekend or two. And then it just dropped because I think people saw it and were like, oh, this isn't really that good. (laughs) Right. Then you've got Suicide Squad, which was super hyped and people so excited. It had a huge opening weekend. I was excited for it based on the premise. I thought, oh, this is going to be a different And then the bottom fell out on it and the reviews were horrible. And so basically, I kind of say they're 0 for 3 on like critically acclaimed big box office successes for them. Right. So this is their fourth attempt. And I can imagine that when the people at DC or Warner Brothers putting together their slate of films were plotting this out, they probably didn't imagine that they would get to the point where Wonder Woman had to be the one to turn the tide for them. (laughs) Banking on this character that has not had a film about her ever. I mean, she had a TV show back in the the 70s, 80s, but no movie. So to bank on a female, which I hate saying it, but we are dearth in female superheroes in in the film world, with a female director, uh, a character that has not seen screen time other than a a shorter part in that Batman versus Superman movie. A lot riding on this. Honestly, if this film tanks, if it were to have tanked, which it's not, but if it were to have tanked, I think it could spell disaster for what they were trying to do. And they may have to retool the whole plan. I will say from a box office standpoint, it's doing really good. My question for you, Chris, is you were you were a big Batman fan. Yes. You had higher expectations for all three of those films I mentioned than probably I did going into them. And you probably had a little bit of a probably a little bit more of a positive foundation to build off of wanting to find goodness in those films. <laughs> you liked Man of Steel better than I did. I did. Uh, we both were kind of uh, feeling about the same way Batman versus Superman. And I think we both felt the same way about Suicide Squad as well. So my question to you is. Is this the film that's setting this whole DC universe, film universe, back on track? Well, you know, John Lovitz, which I don't know how many of our listeners know who he is, but he was on Saturday Night Live. He's a comedian. He did this one skit where I'm not sure what character he was supposed to be, or maybe it's supposed to be somebody in real life, but his catchphrase was lower your standards and that he would keep saying that he'd you know oh dc lower your standards and so the thing is when your bar has been set suicide squad low it ain't that hard to be much better than that and like you said in your setup you know they're they had a low bar um is this the movie to save dc well yeah i mean possibly it's going to like you said it's made some money it's not bad. Okay. Now, I will counter by saying, you know, we've it's about a week out from when this thing released. By the time you guys hear this, maybe another week or so. So about two weeks out from when it released. I think there's a huge bandwagon that's saying this thing is like, mm-hmm. you know, the next big thing. Like, this is huge. Why is that? Well, like you said, you know, it's, it is from a female director. It is the first female comic book movie that seems to be making money. Catwoman with Halle Berry went nowhere however many years ago. Mm-hmm. Don't forget so, Supergirl. Oh, and Supergirl, right? <laughs> yeah. Man, DC just can't win. Yeah, they cannot. Um, so I, I think this movie is good. 
Um, It is refreshing because it was a female at the center of it, Mm -hmm. and that helped. However, there were some things about this movie that really drove me crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll just say, I'm not going to ruin anything for listeners who haven't seen it, although you probably have because it's made so much money, I don't see how you couldn't have. The bookends Mm. are terrible. Mm. Terrible. All right. I'll I'll counter that in a minute. I, this movie, like, it was too much for the system for DC Warner Brothers to just make this movie and not have the bookends. They had to remind you, hey, guess what? Justice League is coming out still in 2017. Is it coming out in like August Dece- or like December? Time December, frame. okay. Yeah. But still, like, they couldn't help themselves. They had to put bookends to remind you that, oh, remember Wonder Woman was in Batman versus Superman? Remember how this was in there? Oh, and remember what's coming a couple of months from now? Such a shame because it was cringe-inducing at first, and then I kind of forgot about it because it was a bookend. And at the end of the movie, they just, like, shoved my face back in it again. Such a sour note. So terrible. Um, But in between... The other 98% of the movie. The other 98% of the movie, maybe 90 for me, was good. Okay. Um, Gal Gadot, which I think is how you... Gal is definitely how you say her first name. Yeah. It's G-A-L, so come on. She is really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, she looks the part. She acts the part. I think you and I theorized off air that would this be kind of the Captain America of the mm-hmm. DC franchise because that first film, you know, it was a throwback. It was a period piece and it really worked because it was kind of different, you know? Well, and I yeah. think this film worked in many of the same ways, but yet I, I still liked it. How do you, and I have some other positives, um, but yeah. how well, do let you, me, let me kind of bounce it? off yours a little bit. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm in the same ballpark. You are, I'm maybe a little more positive. I didn't love this film. I think it's got some issues and I think like the bookends. Um, I didn't hate them as much as you did. I actually thought given what I expected DC to do with this whole film universe, I thought they were somewhat muted in it because compared to how Marvel throws in all their post credit scenes and Uh, all their other stuff, DC was, this movie was actually somewhat muted. I actually was surprised it didn't try to tie into justice league more More. than it did. If all we had are those little bookends, I'm like, okay, I can live with that. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not crazy about it, but man, they could have gotten so much worse with this. So I'm actually kind of happy they were restrained in it. Um, I, Gal Gadot is yep. freaking awesome in this movie. I will say I, when they hired her for the role of placer and even her little bit of time in Batman versus Superman, she was kind of a little glimmer of hope. She was good, movie. but she wasn't this good. You know, it's like, I think, I think her matched up with the director of this film, uh, Patty Jenkins, I think they just had magic going on with her character. The thing that made this movie work at all was her, her acting and the character she played. This was a pure character. This is a glimmer of positive light character, which is so different than a lot of these movies we're getting now. Superhero movies. It's why there's another comparison to the captain America film. Hmm. Captain America was the pure glimmer of hope that, you didn't pay attention to all of his quirks and dark side and other things are wrong with him. He's just a good character. Right. And he happened to be in a flashback kind of world war two situation. Wonder Woman is the same way. There is no 
evil bone in her body. There is no dark side to her character much at all. It is all about she wants to do good. And I'm glad that we've got a, a, a movie that's like, it's okay to make your hero be a good person and want to do good and want to think about helping people on a constant basis. So I just think Gal Gadot nailed it. I thought she got the playfulness of the character, which I would not have thought Wonder Woman would be somewhat playful, but she actually had some moments of real just kind of fun, you know, actually like almost being a little, sometimes a little bratty, almost like a little teenage girl. It was just a fun performance to watch. Well, I will say, I think, you know, we've lauded her performance and she deserves it. However, Mm -hmm. no, 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 I'm not saying, but I think you have to give some credit also to Chris Pine. Do you? Yeah, I do. Okay. All right. I do. Convince Um, me. Convince me. I'm not a big fan of the Star Trek movies that he's been in, Mm -hmm. but he was in Hell or High Water. And that totally changed my opinion of him. Okay. Um, I think he's a good actor. I've never thought he was a bad actor. I just didn't really, I, you know, the Captain Kirk character, I was just kind of done with in those movies. In this movie, he has to play the, you know, Steve Trevor, the military guy mm-hmm. that kind of connects Wonder Woman back to the real, the world that we're familiar with, not yes. like, the, you know, the Amazon world. And I thought he did a really good job. Um, and he did the whole back and forth banter with her playing the innocent, him kind of being the sarcastic guy, and them kind of playing off one another. I thought they had great chemistry. They had good chemistry. I'll give them that. And I'll say, too, the reason I've been on record, I like Batman better than I like Superman. And Mm. even though I could admire some of the Christopher Reeve movies, something about him being so kind of innocent and all-American and clean-cut and squeaky clean kind of got on my nerves. Wonder Woman has that same, could have, Mm -hmm. that same pitfall. But I don't think that comes across in the movie. And I don't know if it was screenwriting or just maybe how Gal Gadot plays her, but it it's never over the top. No, no. It's mm-hmm. interesting. It's like sweet without being cloying, maybe. Right. And like no. you just like want to puke or oh, whatever. It's definitely wasn't, not wasn't Christopher that. Reeve level. There's a there's a human elements to her performance and that she's a good person, she wants to do good, but she's also hard-headed and stubborn yeah, that's and it. kind of can be a little catty at times. I mean, it's just, you know, just he has all those little quirks to her that make right. her human, but yeah, you ultimately just respect the hell out of her for who she is. And that's what I think just, they pulled off her character. Perfect. If it had been somebody else playing wonder woman, or they had not made her character as nicely tuned as they did, this movie would have been boring and by the numbers and just very, very forgettable. So I have, I have a question. So we've okay. talked a little bit about, you know, what we thought overall, the, the performances in the movie. Let me give kind of a little bit of a setup just in case you haven't seen the movie, kind of what this movie is about. Yeah, I never actually said the plot summary, I guess I should say. I, I assume everybody knows right. Wonder Woman, but you're right. There's actually a plot to this thing. So, so yeah. you know, this is Wonder Woman, but she's actually Diana. She's a princess, but she doesn't really know she's a princess. She's on this island and... A pilot, which is the guy I talked about, Chris Pine playing Steve Trevor, crashes, and then that he kind of brings basically World War One to this island. She mm-hmm. finds out about it, finds there's an outside world, and they're fighting, and so then she discovers that she has to leave home to help fight the war, to like end the war. She's hoping, and she discovers, of course, by the way, her true powers, and finds out her identity as being Wonder Woman. Sounds kind of cheesy, but. I really liked it, and I thought it worked. I'm curious, Aaron, the time you spend on the island, the movie starts, mm-hmm. and you're on the island, and you see Diana as a young girl, and then you see her kind of grow up and you know, learn how to fight and stuff. 
what? How did you feel about the the part on the island? How did you How did you feel about I, that? I thought it was good. I actually thought that would be the part of the film I would like the least going into it. Hmm. But actually, I really liked this opening. I think what really got me is I really liked the young actress they had playing young Diana because young she was, was just fun to watch and she was spitfire and just great energy and a lot of fun to watch in those opening scenes. And I think that carried for me the whole opening scene. I, I'm glad the, the time on the island didn't go any longer than it did. See, I thought me, it was a good balance. I for think, me, you know. I, I was, you know, they have to start there because that's where Wonder Woman is yeah. to start off with. So they have to kind of set the scene. And I don't know. I don't know why, but maybe it's just because it's so unusual that to me it felt just a little long because really? it felt, yeah, it was almost kind of weird because I don't know. I felt like it was a little bit too like throwing in your face, kind of like this, these are all women. This whole Island is only women. And they're mm. kind of like showing them fighting. And it was almost kind of, I f- it was weird, but in a way I thought it was kind of exploitative of the women you know, in this oh. weird way. Like it just, I didn't get I was that. like, I get it and let's move on. And so when the, the story finally, I was like, for some reason, I felt like they were maybe focusing too much on trying to set things up and I couldn't wait until, cause you know that the outside world's going to, cause you've seen the trailer, you know, the plane's going to crash and then the story is going to get started. And when the, the plane finally crashed, I was like, thank goodness. And then the story got going and I was fine. But I, for, I was, you know, the bookend, the beginning bookend irritated me. Then I kind of got a little restless on the island. And then when the plane started, then I, I could get engaged with the film. Mm. And then it was That's fine. That's why I said instead of the 98% in the middle of the yeah. bookends, it may have been more like I, 90 I, I didn't want them to spend any more time on the island, but I thought the time was fine, the balance of it. And uh, honestly, you know, if you think about it, I, even though it's interesting, Diana coming to the real world, quote unquote, right. and the interactions she has with people there, some of uh, Steve's, uh, you know, some of his cohorts and, and all yeah, it's all kind of fun and you know, a little fish out of water, interesting situation. Again, Gal Gadot pulled it all off and made all those scenes really enjoyable to watch. I think once it started getting into the actual war, the the moments were, it, it, the film wasn't as memorable for me in that last third, last half to last third. My big issue with the film, and I sound like a broken record when I talk about these these big action movies, it's that last 15, 20 minutes I felt like is it's becoming almost like the DC movie ending. It's like, we're just going to have a big open field, big open space. And the main character the superhero and the main bad guy are just going to throw things at each other <laughs> and run up against each other and just try to beat each other to death. Right. It happened in man of steel. At least in man of steel it was like a half hour of like destruction. Just two people fighting each other. Batman versus Superman kind of ended with all of them like on a big open space hurling things at this big CGI bad guy for like 20 minutes. Wonder Woman, it was definitely more tempered and it was less annoying, the ending. Hmm. But it still had that exact same. It was like the whole paint by numbers. It was just, okay, well, we got to have our big fight scene and let's give them a big open space where they can just pick up things and throw things at each other and just run up against each other as fast as they can. And it basically your bad guy is almost completely CGI most of the time. That is just so dull for me now. I'm just, I'm kind of done with it. I, I want to see an ending fight that's 
no CGI. Give me something like a fist fight and just give me really good choreographed action. Give me something in a different environment other than this big open space where you can just fly around and throw things at everybody. So it's just, it, it was disappointing that they ended it the way they did with that kind of fight scene. It just, it wasn't as interesting to me. I mean, I thought the rest of the movie did a really good job of trying something different. You know, yes, Captain America had its World War II setting, but Wonder Woman is, I mean, if you know the history of the character, she was a World War One character. I mean, that was kind of her foundation. That was her origin. Right. So to put her in that time frame, I thought was perfectly logical. And it made the film a little more interesting. I like the fact that they embraced the whole God's angle, you know? That instead was of, kind of a surprise to yeah, me. Yeah, instead of making it kind of like the Linda Carter one where they really, the TV show, they never really talked about how she became Wonder she's Woman. She's one of the Amazons and they she's just really child of briefly, Zeus. Briefly, it's like right. they don't even talk about, you know, the fact that she's child of Zeus or right. whatever. The fact that they heartily embraced that and said, yeah, and actually kind of made that a, a, a storyline point of the film, um, I thought was good. So I liked the, the chances they took. They were able to embrace the original uh, storyline of this character and uh, keep her in the right time frame, which I thought was impressive as well. Um, I, I was surprised that they touched on, you know, one of the reasons she leaves the island is she's convinced that Ares is causing this war. Mm-hmm. So she's like, well, if I go out in the real world, I'll find Ares and I'll put an end to all this. And how they kind of brought that around was was interesting well i will say i thought they kind of dropped it and then they brought it around my favorite scene of the film and i can i can dance around this without giving away (laughs) any any spoilers my favorite scene in the film and it really to me shows just what godot was doing with this character which made me really respect her performance and the way they wrote this character okay she thinks very late in the film after a climactic fight she feels like she has secured victory and that by doing so she has now helped all of mankind prevent war right that is what her whole simplistic view being you know it's very simplistic if i get rid of this thing all war will go away right and when she realizes that that didn't happen i mean not only is she just you can just tell angry confused distraught all that and steve this it's one thing i thought chris pine was really good at (laughs) Is having wow, no, you're rough no, on he's Chris good. Pine. He's fine. It's just I thought he's he's still Chris Pine. You know that's the thing. I don't hell or high water. He acted. There was like a real performance here. He was playing a character. Here it's uh, hi. I'm Chris Pine, but my name is going to be Steve Trevor in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the scene where he is trying to explain to her and get her to kind of see that it's not as black or white as mm-hmm. maybe she's been led to believe. Sure, having to kind of com- comfort her in that situation. That was a great scene, and those two. That probably built more chemistry for me between the two characters than anything. Um, it's not a dialogue scene that you would normally see a superhero having in these movies these days. So I liked it a lot. Sure. And uh, that was probably my favorite scene in the movie. Um, so, you know, I liked the film. I did like it. I, I did think, again, it kind of fell into the same traps of every other superhero movie. Give me one third of the movie origin. Give me one third of the movie of some different smaller fights. And then give me that last 20 minutes of just a big spectacle fight that just kind of lost a lot of interest for me. I definitely think my enthusiasm for the film tapered with every half hour of the film. Um, so I still say it's good. Sure. It's better than your average superhero movie. Absolutely. But I still compared to the rest of the DC movies. Oh, this is awesome compared to all the other good movies <laughs> or the dark Knight trilogy right. and all that. 
yeah, it's kind of middle of the ground, maybe a little above average uh, on other films. Um, if you enjoy superhero movies, it's a good one to check out. I was just, you know, there again, I liked it, but I guess the bar had been set pretty high for me because I'd heard all the hype about how this was the savior of the DC universe. Um, I wonder if you have a similar feeling to, there's a character in here who plays a pretty big, big bad guy and it's Ludendorff and it's Danny Houston plays Mm -hmm. Ludendorff and he's this big German general and he's, you know, he's a, he's a big bad guy, kind of a central focus of Wonder Woman trying to shut him down. But he is being helped by somebody that's referred to as Dr. Poison or Dr. Maru. Mm-hmm. I thought that character was really interesting, had a cool visual look to her. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've seen the trailers, it's like she has a fake side of her face and mm-hmm. she just looks really kind of odd and kind of scary. I was so sad that they didn't let her be the main because you know that okay it's getting a lot of press for the fact that the main character in this film is a woman which is awesome of course it's wonder woman it's not wonder man it's wonder woman mm-hmm. but how much more satisfying would it have been if there was the woman villainous who was controlling everything and pulling well, strings agree. and all that and instead she is kind of second rank to this other like german guy who's like running around which i guess Time period wise, that would make more sense that the you know men would be in control as opposed to this you know scientist who was really smart and was mm-hmm. apparently really brilliant, but she she was a woman and I guess they didn't trust her to like so I guess she wouldn't have had the control back in that time period. But yeah. I don't know. I was I was frustrated that the care I, she it was, was kind the of more, a waste of a character. She was yeah. the more interesting character. Well, and I wanted her to like. You didn't really get a lot of dialogue from her. You got one. A little bit of a scene with her and Chris Pine, which was interesting, but yeah, just I was I was so sad. <laughs> well, I, I think in general, I think all the supporting cast was just kind of there. Yeah. I think they played their parts. I just didn't get a lot from any other character. True. And unfortunately, when you've got Godot playing such a great role, it just everybody else just kind of falls off. I mean, mm. I thought the villains were all pretty uninspired the one that was the most interesting that you just talked about they did the least with um again i I thought steve trevor chris pine was fine i thought there definitely was a great connection between he and and diana but i still felt like he kind of was just playing his typical almost a captain kirk type of role maybe a little more subdued a little more human but just didn't get a lot out of it there's the Etta Candy, I guess, or who is uh, kind of the, the assistant, secretary. the secretary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She had some funny moments, but overall, she was still just kind of playing a very standard stereotype of the comic relief kind of character. Sure. You know, so it's just even uh, Steve Trevor's partners, the guys and kind of his crew that, that help out. There's all kind of just these little stereotype characters. There wasn't really a lot of depth like a to them. He was like a band that he kind of assembled yeah. to help him with his mission. A lot of... Could be a lot of interesting characters, but they didn't really do anything with any of them. And none of them were really impressive to mm-hmm. watch, or I wasn't drawn to any of the characters or interested in them. Other than, yes, I agree, the female Dr. Poison was yeah. interesting, but that's it. Even mm-hmm. the the women on Amazon, the Amazon Island. Claire Underwood? Yeah, Claire Underwood. <laughs> she she kicked some tails. She, she, was pretty... she taught Wonder Woman how to fight. That's yeah. the takeaway from this yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, you know, again, they all were playing very serviceable roles, but there was nothing extraordinary about any of them. So it's just, yeah, Gal Gadot was so good. The rest of the characters were just kind of like, yeah, yeah, they're just, this is what we wrote and this is who they are and that's it. You know, there's nothing much to write at home about the rest of the characters, I didn't think. So how overall, does that, yeah. how does that make you? So 
this movie, as you've stated, was directed by um, Patty Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Screenplay was by Zack Snyder. Yeah. Or story was by Zack Snyder. Yep. <laughs> Justice League, not to get too heavy into the news, but she will be in the Justice League movie, mm-hmm. is being directed by, or it's finished, being directed by uh, Zack Snyder. How do you how do you feel about going into the Justice League? Not good. I yeah. still don't feel good. No, I, uh, and I'll tell you why. Because you, if you tell you said okay, yeah, Zach Zach Snyder wrote the story, mm-hmm. which means he didn't write the dialogue. Right. He didn't write the 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 actual details of the scenes. He just right. wrote the basic story. Right. And I thought the story here was pretty uninspired. Pretty uninspired. Pretty sure. weak. Pretty much what I would expect from any other DC movie he's had his hands on. Right. What made this movie better was the acting performance Gal Gadot gave. And I do think the director probably had a lot of pulling that performance out of her and getting her to, to fit this character mold that they wanted. Sure. So, no, I actually, you know, although, yes, I'm sure the moments that Wonder Woman's in Justice League might be fine, might be fun. Mm-hmm. And I'm still thinking I liked, actually liked Ben Affleck's Batman and Superman versus Batman. I thought it was an interesting take on the character. Yeah, it wasn't. That the stuff that was not good about that movie was not his fault. No, no. Uh, so individual characters I think are interesting, but Zack Snyder directing a big special effects team movie with these people. No, I'm not. Well, I'm actually less interested after seeing this movie because I know it'll not be as good as this movie. And was. from what little I can take from the trailer, it looks like they're fighting some big force, oh. like some big alien. For and it's just like I that can just already looks see, like a CG. I can already nightmare. see the whole last thirty minutes is going to be them on a big open landscape. Throwing things at this big giant <laughs> creature and yeah. hurling themselves at him at fast speed. And oh, I can already see it, even just from the trailer. So, there again, without giving spoilers away, the final battle scene that you talked about in this movie, Wonder Woman versus this other big yes. climactic villain, it was CGI irritating. You know, it was kind of the sequence you've been describing. The one thing that I thought was kind of cool about it. Yeah is that my son plays this video game called Injustice. Yes. And in this video game, the character that's in this final confrontation scene is in this video game, and he is actually outfitted like he is in the video game. So I was like, oh, now this makes sense because that's who this character is. So it was kind of, for me, it was kind of like, I guess it was fanboy service, even though I'm not Mm -hmm. really that familiar with the video game, but familiar enough that I was like, oh, so I guess the fact that it wasn't, it was crazy CGI, like all over the place, but they did try to put some like footnote there for you. Yeah. I guess gave it a little, made it okay. a little bit better. Like I said, it was better than the other films that have sure. employed that big ending scene, but it still fell in that same trap. I just, I just, I need something different from these films. Than, I can understand that. You know, and, and I granted, I understand you've got to use CGI to do the kind of powers that these characters have and to do some of the action scenes they do, but just don't make it a, 20 minutes of just watching people hurl things against each other. I just, I'm so bored and tired of that. I understand. Um, So that's wonder woman. I mean, we both say yes. Good movie. Neither one of us are in love with this movie. Neither one of us are saying it's, you know, great. Maybe it's not deserving in our minds of all the acclaim it's getting right now. I agree with you on that. We're saying it's a little over movie. Good, but maybe slow the hype. train down. I think it's just everybody went in saying, Oh man, DC's really stinking it up right now. Oh wait, Wonder Woman is actually a pretty good movie. Oh, it's the best movie ever made or it's the best superhero we've had in the last 20 years. I, I don't think it's deserving of all that acclaim, but it is a good movie 
and it definitely can push the DC movies in the right direction. Although Zack Snyder is still the thing that I think is just going to kill this franchise. I think you touched on this and this will be my last kind of closing out comment too. I think the reason why this is kind of a success for DC is because you'd stated how the other movies kind of had a darker tone, you know, man of steel, definitely suicide squad, Superman versus Batman. But in that movie, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman was kind of the bright spot. Mm -hmm. And that's what this movie, I think, you know, just so happens it comes out now in the time period we're in and people kind of wanted, they wanted escape. They wanted a comic book movie, but this is also one with a little bit more of a positive tone to it. They want a hero. They wanted a hero. They want a little bit of more of an uplifting superhero movie. And this just kind of hit at the right time. I I think so. So. And I do think too, it, it, and absolutely it it needs to be a claim that, you know, I'm so glad a female director has been has been given the chance to direct a big budget movie. Sure. That with this kind of budget and this kind of exposure and knock it out of the park and making you know, over a hundred million dollars in the first weekend, it's great. So I'm sure that's also funneling a lot of the enthusiasm for the film as well as kind of the story behind the making of it. Sure. So and I I will give it all that. I just I think it's a fine superhero movie, not a great one, but I will say Gal Gadot. Man, this is her role. I mean, uh, if they ever break down contract negotiations with her and try to replace her with somebody else, <laughs> done. I mean, no, I'm, there's, I'm not at all interested. But knowing if she had another solo movie, if they do a sequel to this. And I think and Patty Jenkins has said get Patty is on Jenkins record on saying she's interested. In if they, they're sequel. done with the origin, they're done, they can fine-tune a little bit. I bet the sequel to this would be really, really good. I would actually be excited to see the sequel to this if the same crew was coming back to do it. So. Okay. And maybe not have the story by Zack Snyder. <laughs> okay, that's Wonder Woman. We actually went pretty long on that, but it was good. A lot to talk about. Let's go ahead and switch gears a little bit to a film that uh, different style budget, different size scope, but a lot of similarities to it. And that is the film called Their Finest. We know how it starts. Twin sisters took their father's boat over to join the rescue. We know how it ends. 338,000. Home safe. Now all we have to do is fill in the gaps. This is Cole. We'll need someone to write the slop. Slop? Girl talk. Women's dialogue. People like films because stories are structure. When things turn bad, it's still part of a plan. There's a point to it. All those people gave their sons to one war and now their grandsons to another. We'll have them weeping in the aisles. Their Finest is the latest from director Lona Scherfig, and she also directed An Education a couple years back, which starred Carrie Mulligan. It was the coming-of-age story of a girl getting kind of an education. She was dating an older man, kind of learned more about the world and about you know relationships, and then kind of the, it was life lessons coming of age. So it was and from the female perspective. Mm-hmm. With Their Finest, we have... A former secretary, she gets appointed as a screenwriter for a propaganda film, and she ends up getting into this production of a propaganda film about Dunkirk. And as war is still raging all around them in in England, Alan, this film is billed as a comedy, a mm. drama, and mm. a romance. Mm. Do you feel like their finest gave you a fine example of any of those three? A comedy, a drama, or a romance? Um, hmm. 
Uh, I will say that I think it was a very, very, very light comedy. Okay. And in the comedy was almost exclusively hinging on one character in the film, played by Bill Nye. I think that he was there for the comedy. Got you. And you take him out of the film and his character playing an aging uh, aging actor that is getting is now being brought in to work on this propaganda film. And, of course, he plays the very stereotypical... He's like a diva. Yeah, he's the very stereotypical, I, I am too good for this. Sure. I've been in these productions and how dare you put me in the part of the old codger you know alcoholic person that that's the comedy and he was fun he had played a fun part in the film and i think the the drama part was slight i think it it, it was doing some interesting things with where it wanted to go with the story the romance was also to me slight so it just it was slight in all three areas it was not strong in any three of those aspects I will say I think it did a fine job of blending those three styles into a one cohesive movie, but the movie itself did not, I don't think, excelled in any one area. I so, think you and I are on the exact same page with this film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a fine movie. Uh, I'm not going to say I didn't like it because I think there were some moments that I appreciated. And I think, I will say, I always like films about filmmaking. And of course, this is a film very much about filmmaking. I actually really like the scenes where you're really seeing the inner machinations of a screenwriting department having to deal with the government, having to deal with it being a propaganda film and influences from other places. That was really interesting to me. I like that side of the story. Um, I wish they had explored that even more, but I thought I I did think that element of the film was really interesting to watch. I felt like this film, I agree. And I, which was surprising to me that this film that's about script writing it was surprising to me that the script to me seemed to be as much of a mess as it was because it was trying to be too many things. Yeah. Comedy, drama, romance, just drop the comedy and have it be a drama romance. Right. Yeah. It didn't really need or drop the romance and have it be a comedy drama, like have some funny things because the situation trying to work. They were just trying to do too much. Yeah. And I think it just, it just didn't work. And given the subject matter, I mean, you're talking about wartime, you know, I could see how, you know, and it, I was surprised because the trailer for this film, which I did mm. see before the film came out, it seemed to be a much lighter tone. And then I was not expecting it to be as heavy as it was. And it really took yeah. me by a surprise. And I, so much so that halfway through the movie, I was like, oh, okay, it's really, it is going to be this heavy where it's, it's not going to you know, be really light. Bill Nye, love him as an actor. I um, think he's really talented. But he was just, I felt like, was so kind of cliche and oh, wasted sure. in this movie. Well, until mm-hmm. there, you know, through dramatic turns of events, he goes to visit the main character, which, let me yeah. pull up her name, uh, Katrin Cole, goes mm-hmm. to visit Miss Cole in her apartment in the latter half of the film. Yeah. And when he goes to visit her in an apartment, things totally you know take a 180 at that point for mm-hmm. me because he kind of drops the kind of diva aspect and you know is more of a real person sure and that scene i thought was well written communicates a lot of things about you know people's feelings not that kind of that scene and one of them I'll mention in a moment are my bright spots for the movie mm-hmm. but they kind of saved the movie for me 
Um, I really liked that scene and I like him as an actor, but that specific scene where he makes an apartment visit for me was a, was a strong point. How did you feel about that scene? You seem a little, mm-hmm. I, I, I just thought it was, a little, it. I thought it was a little cliche. Hmm. I, I thought it was totally expected. As soon as he walks in the door, I'm like, Oh yeah, he's going to be the voice of conscious after all this. He's the old, old, uh, egotistical actor, but now he's going to come in and kind of give her a good, a moment of dialogue to kind of bring her, bring her around. It was, well, it was think, fine. It I was, see. But if they hadn't given him that scene, oh. he would have just been completely wasted in the movie. And it's kind of like when he showed up. Yeah. I think I knew what he was going to do. Yeah. They gave the him something of me to gravitas that he was able to do it with. I was like, I okay. just thought all the characters were very caricatures hmm. and you know, you have the, the the uh, love interest, possible love interest, that's another fellow screenwriter, and he's mm-hmm. very prickly and very sarcastic and very kind of just edgy and, you know, uh, pushing a lot of buttons on people and just kind of overplayed that. And then you've got the the current boyfriend, and he's the struggling artist, artist yeah. and, you know, it was just the only person I didn't feel like was over stereotypical was the main character. I thought she was, you know, she played, she was basically bouncing between all these worlds. And I think she, I think she was fine. I thought Gemma Arterton was actually pretty good. I've never, I I don't think I've ever seen her act in anything. I thought she was, she was fine. I I thought she was, you know, one of the best things about the movie, kind of like you're mirroring Wonder Woman with Gal Gadot. Yeah. Gemma Arterton, she was really good. Um, I, I, I was, I was interested enough in this film because of the screenwriting, storyline and just kind of what they were trying to do talking a little bit about a piece of history. That's maybe not as talked about as much. I always like when a film can dig into something that maybe I'm not as aware of the fact I knew they made propaganda films. I know that that was going on during the war effort, but just the thought process that went into how to build this and how it's going to be made. And then all of a sudden now America is involved. We want to make it bigger. (laughs) And it's just, I liked all that, all kind of the political, uh, uh, behind closed doors wrangling of making this film, I thought was really fun. And to see a version of that finished film at the end of the movie, I thought was also fun to see. Mm-hmm. I just think, you know, like you said, the comedy was not strong enough. The drama was not as heightened as it could have been given the situation. And then the romance I thought was, uh, yeah, it just didn't quite work uh, yeah. for me either. I, I guess I, yeah, I put my dislikes. My number one is there's nothing extraordinary about this film. It's very – the only thing that I felt – yeah, okay. So we've talked about the one scene, Bill Nye and the apartment thing, which you and I differ on a little bit. I liked it a little better than you did, but it was very typical. I will say yeah. it was a well-played scene, but it was a very predictable scene. The one that I thought kind of showed a little flash of screenwriting was my other high point of the film where – um Jimmy Adderton, she is rewriting, oh, she's writing a scene about this full moon that's like a beach scene and kind of a, there's a confrontation that's happened and she's kind of as if she's rewriting this scene as if this is how this should have played out. Mm -hmm. And so she gives dialogue and everything. And I thought that was very cleverly done. And I thought just the way she takes things that have been said to her and weaves them in the script and kind of the interplay that would happen mm-hmm. between her and another character. And she mimics that perfectly. I, th- I just thought it was a, a clever kind of movie within a movie type yeah, thing. No, and I, that, that scene was another one of my favorites that made it a little different than your standard. But I do agree with you that as a whole, there was just nothing really remarkable. Yeah. Really. I think that's, that's, that's where I was. It's just, 
it had a, it had some opportunities to be remarkable in a few areas, and it just didn't quite go there. Um, I, I will say, I, I think there was one moment of the film I really it was really touching to me, and I thought it really worked. And it's such a slight little moment, hmm. okay. um, but just an interesting little t- touch they did. And I mentioned it during the, the discussion after the film, but you know, you're seeing this completed film, and again, it's this this propaganda film that's oh. being made. And they're showing it in front of an audience at a movie theater and this audience is eating it up and loving it. And you know throughout the film that they employed a documentary filmmaker to make this film. There was a little bit of a running commentary on the fact that they didn't think that that was the right person to be directing this film and so on. But they inserted into the end montage of this real propaganda war film that's trying to build up patriotism, trying to build up support for you know the troops and – uh, you know, just Britain's just trying to really play up their angle and b- build some support for the war effort. And in the end, a montage, they cut to a shot, a very quick shot that's, it's hard to explain, but it was a shot that was obviously shot inside this movie of their two main characters kind of having a little fun moment on the side of a pier or something. And they inserted that frame, that shot, even though it had no bearing to the rest of the film, right. inserted in the montage just as part of that montage. The fact that, you know, it's, it's, they wove that quick shot in to kind of recognize the screenwriters that helped make this film. It was just a nice touch. And then we see, you know, Gemma Arditon's character kind of responding to that scene, you know, as she's watching the movie. It was a really nice little touch. That was probably one of the few moments of the film I'm like, ooh, they're, they did something that really kind of moved me emotionally huh, a little okay. more where the rest of the film just didn't quite go far enough in any, any of those directions. So it was a very slight film with a very, I think an interesting premise to it. Just, just didn't go far enough in any one theme or top or, or direction. I also thought it was a little, a little manipulative on some emotional fronts. I think they really tried to play with emotions a lot more than I think they needed to. I think they could have really just let the story play out, add some little heavier dramatic elements to it, but not feel the need to play with our emotions and kind of pull, pull us in different directions and try and manipulate us a little bit, which I think the film did try to do at, at times. Uh, yeah, I can agree with that. I will, I will say though, um, in talking, we like Alan mentioned, we just came from a screening of this. Some of the audience members talked about how they felt it might've been some type of commentary about living through wartime because there's so many bad things happening all the time and you just kind of keep marching forward and don't really think about it. And in the film, people are constantly talking about, oh, this place just got bombed. I just heard my landlady do that. You know, this person died, this person died. And they keep moving forward. And then at one point in the film, towards a later point, a key character, there's a huge accident and, you know, he dies. And you're just kind of like, whoa. And, I, you know, it seemed very sudden. But at the same time, maybe that was the point to be as jarring slash manipulative was to kind of wake you out of, you know, no, this is wartime. Yeah, no. So and I think they definitely meant to do that in some places. So I just felt like it was maybe I'm not even talking about just that scene. I think just in general, just there's a lot of building up of our emotions and trying to kind of make us feel a certain way without letting us just feel that way naturally. So hmm. um, overall, it was a it was a fine, acceptable film. I just didn't. Your finest is fine. Their finest is fine. Just didn't. <laughs> Do a lot extraordinary that I think we look for in films these days to help do for us. So, 
Uh, but if you are interested in that time period, you're interested in the idea of a, you know, a, a wartime effort to make a film that was going to serve as propaganda and kind of how that came about. I think it's worth watching just to kind of if you're interested in that kind of storyline. Well, and it's interesting to me that we had Wonder Woman, which was during this time period. Now we've had their finest one, you know, both fiction, but one based on events that were happening, you know, Dunkirk. And then we have Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk that's going to come out. It's just like all these films that are right in the same time period coming out. It's just going to be interesting to see after Dunkirk, are people going to be kind of burned out for a while? Or yeah. will they? I don't know. I, um, we mentioned a little earlier um, before the taping about Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, yes. And the fact that you know, Rotten Tomatoes is a website, in case you're not familiar with it. That basically it's a review website, but what it does is it aggregates all reviews from movies from all different critics, and it calculates a Rotten Tomatoes score. And the and idea both is these were rated well. Their finest was rated pretty high. Well, this, their finest is rated really high. And I have a theory on why <laughs> that is. Basically, it's like an eighty-six percent or somewhere in that mid-eighties, high eighties, meaning that eighty-six percent of the reviewers out there gave it a positive rating. Okay. The difference is Brighton Rotten Tomatoes doesn't account for any gradation of best to worst film. It's simply a matter of did that reviewer say gave it a positive review? Hmm. I guarantee you their finest. Yes, 86% of reviewers gave it a positive review. I bet you very few of them gave it a glowing review. I see. I think it's more of a passable, acceptable film review. Which is where I think Rotten Tomatoes can be a little misleading because it's not telling you the quality of the film within the reviewers that are talking about it. It's just, is it good or is it bad? And what percentage people said it was on the good side? What percentage people said on the bad side? This is a film. This is one of those films I guarantee you it's high because, yes, a majority of the film, of the reviewers said it is a good movie. But I bet you very few of them said it was a great movie. Gotcha. See, so that's where I think it came from. That's my theory. I'm sticking to it. (laughs) Okay, so that is Their Finest. Yes, and Wonder Woman. Not a great title, but uh, Their Finest and Wonder Woman. Two films, uh, both with lead female characters, both directed by females, and I think both having some interesting attributes to play up. I definitely was probably a bigger fan of Wonder Woman than Their Finest, but I think both of them led had some areas where I wish they really could have really could have excelled the film more than they did. So with that, we're done with our reviews. We're going to take a quick break, come back with a little bit of movie news, and then we'll end out with our recommendations of ones to check out when you have a moment. So stay tuned. This is foot candle films. Local authors, illustrators, and storytellers come together to create Storytime station at the mesh. Storytime Station is a video podcast that works as a virtual storybook. Each show features a new children's book and new reader. So gather the whole family to listen, learn, and laugh at Storytime Station on TheMesh.TV. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan. Over here is Chris. Welcome back. We had our reviews of the first two films we talked about, which were Wonder Woman and Their Finest. Uh, Wonder Woman playing still in in movie theaters as we record this everywhere. (laughs) Their Finest, you'll probably have to hunt a little bit more to find that in some more select cities or maybe some smaller 
art house cinemas. So Chris, uh, before we get into our news, just want to kind of remind everybody what they're listening to, what we're doing here, why we're here in general. This is Foot Candle Films. It is a podcast. It is a show that we record on a regular basis. Typically, I'd say twice a month. We Seems try to, to do about it twice average, a month. Twice yeah. a month. And uh, the idea is that, you know, we put these shows out there. They're free. You can download them. You can listen to them just like you are now. You can listen to them through website pages that host our episodes, or you can go through the iTunes store or any other podcast store and find this podcast. Now, you hear the word podcast, may not understand what that means. It's the idea of think about it like a recording DVR for internet content. We put out a new episode every couple of weeks. If you subscribe to this podcast, it means you're going to get that episode sent to you automatically. You don't have to go hunt for it. You don't have to go search for it. You don't have to guess and say, I wonder if the new episode of Foot Candle Films is out. You just open up your podcast app and voila, there it is if you subscribe to us. You can listen to it exercising, walking, driving, uh, in the background while you're working, whatever you want to do. It's your convenience where you listen to it, when you listen to it. Just don't listen to it when you're actually watching a movie in the theater. Just Yeah, that might be, that that would might be tough. Be that might be a little distracting for you. I mean, you, the viewer, I would <laughs> say. Uh, unless you're doing it like on one of those big jam boxes that yeah. you put on your shoulder. Don't do that. And you're listening to a podcast. That would be really distracting like for everybody. True. Um, so there's a lot of ways you can listen and, 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 and kind of follow along with the show. So we do recommend if you like kind of at least anything that we're doing in the show to any degree and you want to subscribe, go do that. Go to iTunes, search for Foot Candle Films. There'll be a subscribe button right there and that will download for you the latest episode and then also make sure that you get all new episodes going forward. Uh, there's other podcast apps and stores that do the same thing. Stitcher Radio, Google's got a podcast store, I believe. So there's all places that we're, we should be, and we recommend people come and check us out and uh, give us a listen and give us some feedback, and we'll tell you at the end of the show how you can reach out to us. All right, so Chris, let's hit a few news items. I think you've got a couple to share. I've only got one item to share. Okay. So why don't you go first with Absolutely. your first news item? So we have talked about this at least twice before, but instead of saying this film is in production, maybe one day it will happen. It finally came to pass that Terry Gilliam has finished shooting the man who killed Don Quixote. No. He's actually no. wrapped shooting. I don't believe nope. it. Nope. It actually happened. <laughs> really? Like, yeah. Completely wrapped. So, yeah. Adam Driver is now going to be the main character. It had been Johnny. Yeah. I mean, why not? He's <laughs> why not? in everything Adam else. Adam Driver. Like, <laughs> right. um, man. We liked him in Patterson. Oh, um, no, I like him. I just. Yeah. He is in everything. He is in everything. So, yes. Right. He's like the new Morgan Freeman. He's yes. just going to be in everything that comes out. Wow. But um, no, they have finished shooting and now it's just editing. And I think they may have a release date in 2018. Man. But this is finally going to happen. When we mentioned in the past, they even made a documentary called Lost in La Mancha, which was about this whole thing. Back then it was Johnny Depp who was going to be playing the Adam Driver character. But yeah, it just has been a mess and a nightmare and been all sorts of lawsuits. But it came out last week or so that the f- shooting had wrapped and that they were finished now shooting. Now can they just edit Edit the thing? <laughs> Is there going to be a documentary about the editing of oh, man. the man? Yeah. I mean, I think he <sighs> needs a Lifetime Achievement Oscar for this film if it gets released. If it just gets like, finished. Just like, man, you finished it. Congratulations. <laughs> I just, I think, I had no idea Adam Driver was involved in it now. So yeah. that is funny. So that's, that's 
Luckily, I, I like it, Adam Driver, but man, he's in everything. You know, something else interesting I did not know. You know, everybody knows Terry Gilliam was involved with Monty Python, but in reading this story about how he'd finished shooting and everything, I did not know that Terry Gilliam was actually born in Michigan and was actually like an American citizen. Really? And then then lived in Los Angeles back in like the 60s, 70s, I guess 70s, got so fed up with, I guess, like stuff that was going on. He moved to London, which is where he ended up meeting the mm-hmm. members of My Python, and renounced his American citizenship. Wow. No, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, I had no And he said he supposedly the reason he moved is because he felt like if he didn't move, he was going to become too much of like a political activist. And so he's like, I got to get out of here. And so he left wow. and went to England. Interesting. Never no, knew I, had, that. I had no idea either. No idea. So, but anyways. Well, I'm curious. Um, very intrigued to see if this actually does come about. What, what's the last Harry Gilliam film you saw? I'm curious. Oh, man. Or do you really like his stuff? Well, I I absolutely freaking love The Fisher King. Fisher King is a good one. And I'm a pretty decent fan of 12 Monkeys. Okay. Um, I need to go back and visit some of his older Time films. Bandits. Time Bandits I've seen, but it's been forever a since I've seen long time ago. Sure. Same thing for, um, what did he, he did, uh, he did, what did he do? It wasn't, Metro, it's not Metropolis, it's uh, Brazil. Brazil, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that one I need to go back and revisit. It was back in high school when I saw that one. Sure. Uh, so the last one I saw, man, I don't recall. Yeah. I don't, well, I'm not it, really familiar with a lot a of his films. a while between a lot of his films. He did uh, the one with Heath Ledger that was like the... The Brothers Grimm? Oh, no, he yeah, did there's Brothers that one, Grimm, but then there's but then the... He did the uh, Parasmus or something, the one the where Heath Ledger passed away and they right. filled his slot with... Uh, Which was kind of crazy and all yeah. over the place. Mm-hmm. This other one called Tideland after that, that was... I didn't see that. Kind of really bizarre, too. So I'm interested to see, you know, he he's a really interesting filmmaker, has a Absolutely. vision, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see, now that the shooting's been done, maybe we'll <laughs> get it edited in 2018 and we'll get to see it, so... Uh, so I'm looking at his list right now. Yeah, I think, you know, I saw The Fisher King, 12 Monkeys, and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Fear and Loathing. I forgot about that one. Those yeah. three I saw, and then he had like a seven-year break where he didn't do anything. And then it or was, tried to make Man in the Monster. Well, yeah. <laughs> and it was Brothers Grimm, yeah. Tideland, Dr. Parnarsis, okay. and The Zero Theorem, which was that one with uh, Christopher, Christopher Waltz. Waltz. Never yeah. saw that one. Uh, and then it does say A Man Who Killed Don Quixote post-production. It actually says it on IMDb, so it's official. It's it's true. Yeah. Um, Yeah, you know what? That's the thing is I haven't actually seen many of his films. Okay. Um, Time Bandits I saw. Monty Python, The Holy Grail, of course, I've seen. Yeah. Um, Brazil I saw. Oh, Adventures of Baron Munchausen. I did see that one. Uh, So I've seen about half his films. Sure. But not any in the last 15 years. So, interesting. But you'll line up to go see this one, right? Oh, I will just because... I mean, I remember seeing the documentary about yeah. it, and I actually kind of appreciated that. So, no, I will definitely go see this one, just to be able to say I was there <laughs> when this film came out. So, right. that's great. Um, all right, I'm going to go to a new story that both links back to our earlier review of Wonder Woman, but also uh, a little bit more on a sad note. But And I don't want to sound like a cynic with this when I get into this story, but I, I do want to kind of discuss implications from a business standpoint for this movie. Hmm. So we were talking about Suicide Squad. Or yes. not Suicide Squad. We were talking about Justice League. Justice League. Talking about Zack Snyder. Right. Our concerns about Mr. Snyder as a filmmaker in general and some of the storytelling he does. And 
how I feel like he may be what's wrong with the DC Universe films right now because he has been very deeply involved in all four of the films that have come out so far. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, he and his wife are both kind of partners. They both work on the film. She's oh, a producer as well. Okay. So Deborah Snyder, you see in the credits, even the story for Wonder Woman was by Zack Snyder and Deborah Snyder. Okay. So they're very much a, a co- team. co-producer team. Yeah, okay. They, uh, they had a daughter who committed suicide in March. Oh, like it was just three months ago. Okay. And that actually prompted he and his wife to both step away from the post-production work on Justice League. Okay. Um, Joss Whedon was brought in to help finish out the film. Hmm. So Joss Whedon has been brought in to help finish out Justice League. Now, according to what's going around, banning around right now, there are substantial reshoots going on right now. Hmm. The film comes out neither November or December. But yeah, definitely uh, 2017. Yeah, it'll be this year. Um, they're saying that the amount of reshoots, this is all rumor, of course, going through the the grapevine. Well, I remember reshoots were talked about with Rogue One, too. Oh, the reshoots all yeah. over. the Every big film has reshoots. It's how much. Is it just we just need a couple little scenes to fill in a few gaps? Or are we reshooting big parts of the movie because it just didn't work? You mm-hmm. know. And they're saying that there are really big parts, like big production schedule for reshoots, a lot bigger than normal. And Joss Whedon is kind of the one now in charge of that. Hmm. There were some rumors that maybe Joss Whedon was getting involved even before this tragedy hit the, the Snyder family. Maybe because the DC executives are starting to have a little cold feet about where things are going. Joss Whedon did some magic with the Avengers and with some of the Marvel movies for a while. It's trying to bring him in and help kind of give a little more personality to the film. Maybe give a little more maybe humor and you know, give some other things that might get it out of that, that slump that it's been in for the last few films. Hmm. But I did think it was really sad and just, I did want to kind of point out that, you know, that he did step away. If you hear rumors that he's no longer involved in justice league, you know, and Joss Whedon is taking his place. Technically, you know, they, they step away rightfully. So their family has been really shattered by this, by this uh, tragedy, unfortunately. So I do want to say I can talk all snarky about Zack Snyder and all that, but you know, Never would want anybody to go through what I'm sure he and his wife sure. are going through right now. So, but I did think it was interesting that they brought in Joss Whedon to, to uh, kind of help fix up the rest of the film, reshoots, and the post production work. So, yeah, it's interesting. He did, yeah. like, he's done the big team film for Marvel, which was yeah. Avengers, and now he's going to do a big team film for DC. So. Well, some of it. I think some he's just going to, I got a feeling they're going to bring him in to kind of. Give it a little more pop. Give it a little more energy. Give it a little more human life to it. And, and, you know, he's so good with dialogue. I'm sure it's just trying to weave in some more lighter dialogue just to make mm-hmm. the film a little more not so dour and, and, and depressing. Who, how I could see it totally being if, you know, the path they've been going down. Hmm. So anyway, still it was interesting. Again, our hearts go out and thoughts go out to the Snyder family because uh, you know, I just can't even imagine that that's tough to deal with. Uh, and right in the middle of all the production work going on. So sounds like DC's handled it the right way and been very supportive of him and willing to kind of do whatever he needs to do time away. So I appreciate that. So, yeah. All right. What have you got as a, as a third item? So Al Pacino, Alan. Yes. I, he's an actor. He is. Right. Okay. Got it. Uh, I recently, I don't know the last film that you Hoo-ah. saw him in. He's the yes. guy, right? He is. Son of a woman. Yes. Um, I saw him in Manglehorn, which was a right. David Gordon David Green Gordon joint, Green. and mm-hmm. it was okay. But I feel like he hasn't really had a part. 
I don't know. I feel like he's kind of he's a well-respected actor, but hasn't really had a part that's just let him shine recently. Mm-hmm. Well, he is scheduled to play Joe Paterno <laughs> in a HBO biopic about Joe Paterno, and of course, it's going to have the whole Penn State scandal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's being directed by Barry Levinson, which to me is oh. kind of odd. Ooh. Um, so I like Barry Levinson. Well, and I think. You know, interesting to see him do a biopic. Al Pacino doing Joe Paterno, who Joe Paterno was a very, you know, larger than life figure, very successful in football, but then had this, obviously, you know, he, it was the whole scandal that went on with, and and that he, you know, did he know what was going on? Did he not know what was going on? And, you know, very tragic, you know, and he, it was just very tragic, the whole mm-hmm. mess. Um, I'm interested to see, Kind of Al Pacino take that role. I think he'll be. I think he'll be good in it. So, but it's but it's going to be released. The interesting thing is, it's going to be one of these HBO films. It's only on well, HBO. If you think back over the last several years, I mean, Al Pacino has been the HBO movie about a real person hmm. guy. He did the Jack Kevorkian movie back which in two thousand ten, which I never saw. Yeah, you don't know Jack was on HBO. I believe. Okay. He did Phil Spector in the movie Phil Spector for HBO. Hmm. Back in uh, 2013, and now he's doing Joe Paterno. So maybe he's contractually obligated to do this. I don't know. But huh. you know, it's just the whole HBO straight to TV, hmm. but him playing a real a real character, a real person. Uh, not the most ideal of characters, you know, but obviously playing ones that have a lot more controversy around them in right. all three situations. But so. you're interested because Barry Levinson's going to direct Yeah, them. I like Barry Levinson. You know, actually I was – Listening to another podcast that you and I, I know both listen to, a film-related one, and uh, they were talking about best films from, I think, you know, mid-'80s or so, and they got to talking about The Natural, and that's still one of my favorite films, and I really, really respect that. And I think Barry Levinson, didn't he do Avalon also? I don't know if you I remember that film. I think he did. Really liked Avalon. There was just like a stretch of time where Barry Levinson was really good. He hmm. did Rain Man. Um and then I think about the time he did that movie Toys with Robin Williams, it's like things were starting to just kind of drop off. And That's just such a weird movie. Oh, it's bizarre. Yeah. I mean, I remember going to the movie theater seeing that as kind of a teenager. Like, huh? And it's like, okay, this is not at all what I expected. So it's very weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So that's our news items and uh, interesting stuff all the way around there. Let's close out the show as we normally do, which is with our recommendations. So Chris and I have seen movies. We know a lot about movies. We, you know, that's kind of what we do in our, our free time as we screen movies. We talk about movies. So our job now is to find a film that either we've just recently caught back up with or just kind of remembered and think would be something to pass along as a good uh, recommendation of something to check out if you're looking for a film uh, to have some a couple hours of enjoyment with either this weekend or, or whenever. So, Chris, uh, you did the last bit of talking, so it's okay if I'll go ahead and go first. Sure, absolutely. Let me uh, let me take you a little bit in the wayback machine. Okay. So I have a I have a, a a digital media server in my house. This is where I all the DVDs I own I've kind of taken and made digital versions of them, and I put them on this this computer. Gotcha. So on our couple of TVs in our house, or my kids' iPads or phones, we can watch anything from that's on that server anywhere in our network and watch it anywhere we are on the road too. Gotcha. So I've been going through and kind of reorganizing and getting cleaned up on stuff. And that's normally where I start to stumble across films that I had forgotten how much I enjoyed them. 
So it's a good chance for me to go back and watch certain films as I'm going back and cataloging all these DVDs I've had over the years. So there was a film back in 1987 called Stakeout. Do you remember this film? <laughs> Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus and Emilio Estevez. Oh, okay. When this film came out in 87, and I was, uh, I, was a, I was a teenager, I was driving, I was dating. I actually think I went on a date to go see this movie. Okay. And it's one of those movies where I knew nothing about it when I was going into it. You know, it's just like, okay, it's a cop movie and it's playing at the cinema and we're on a date. So I guess we'll go see this. You know, you just not really a lot of thought behind <laughs> it. It's supposed to be a it. comedy. So yeah, like, it's like okay. a funny buddy cop movie. Got you. And I remember coming out of this movie just really thinking this movie was not only hysterical, but you know, actually a pretty decent action com- a crime movie. Okay. Um, directed by John Badham, who had made some other films. I think he actually was the director of Saturday Night Fever. Oh. He also was the director of War Games, Short Circuit. He had a nice run, 70s and 80s, of some big iconic films that he directed. Hmm. Um, kind of lost a little steam after that. I think Stakeout may have been one of his last kind of bigger hit films. Okay. But the idea is that Stakeout is two cops that are on a stakeout. And they have to basically Club observe this woman who is living alone in a, a house across the street. They are having to set up shop in the house directly across from her. And basically they're there to watch her because she had been dating a guy who was a known criminal and they believe this man is trying to get back in touch with her. So they're going to watch her to see if they can find out how to get him or track him down. Well, the problem is Richard Dreyfuss playing one of the cops actually kind of falls in love with her. Ah. And it's a little more disturbing in a way in that, you know, he actually is going into her house at times oh. <laughs> uh, to try to snoop around and see if he can learn something about the case. But in doing so, you know, of course she, there's a, I think a hysterical scene where she actually comes home early. He's inside the house and he is trying to negotiate his way out of the house wow. while she's there in the house. And they're just, it's a little, it's a little bit of a zany comedy for a few minutes, but having Emilio Estevez as his partner, watching him with binoculars as he's bumbling across the house trying to get out before she... <laughs> it's actually a really funny, funny directed scene, I think. Hmm. But then you actually have a little bit of romance between the two characters. You've got some decent action going on later in the film. Yeah, it's definitely more comedy than it is drama or crime. I just remember the posters like Estevez and... You mean this poster right there? I'm showing you on my yes. computer screen. That's it. With them yeah. underneath a bed. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I just think it, it's a very slight but fun movie. And I do think Richard Dreyfus is just having a good time with this film. I don't know. It just has some really great moments and scenes. And it's a good nostalgia kick for me. I mean, I do remember seeing it in the movie theater. I remember renting it on VHS when it came out on VHS and watching it some more times. I just It was a fun film. I really did like this film. Now, they made a sequel. Another stakeout. Were they both in it? Yeah. Estevez and, and Dreyfus? And with Rosie O'Donnell in it. And it was not good. So don't <laughs> don't get confused. Go for if the original. Don't, don't look for a, another stakeout. You want the original, just stakeout. Stakeout, original recipe. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Okay. So that's my that's my recommendation. I don't know what streaming service it's on. I know you can get it on Amazon rental, but I'm sure iTunes probably as well. So, okay. All right. Chris, what have you got for us? So my recommendation, you need to set aside four hours. Oh, boy. But the good, news, the good news is um, this is available on Amazon Prime. That's where I saw it. It's free. They break it up into six parts. Unlike if you were lucky enough to see it at Sundance, you had to – I think they broke it up only into two segments there. So it was like two 
two two-hour segments. But it is Long Strange Trip, which is a documentary about the Grateful Dead. If you do not like the Grateful Dead or you if you actively hate the Grateful Dead, then there's probably no reason for you to watch this. If you don't really you don't really care one way or the other about the Grateful Dead, this is something for you to watch because it's just really interesting to see the time span. So you learn about things that were going on in our country and you learn about each of the band members like perspectives of their lives mm. as well as like the music scene. I'm a Grateful Dead fan. I was fortunate enough to see them a couple of times. Um, so it just really reminded me of how talented they were as musicians. People tend to just kind of focus on which the film touches on mm -hmm. their fan base yeah. and, Oh, they're deadheads and Oh, you know, the, the drug culture, the scene at the concerts, which got away from the band. It just was kind of like this thing. They didn't know how to deal with it mm -hmm. because it just kind of became its own world and became bigger than them. And it kind of, you see a lot of behind the scenes of the tolls that it takes on the band. And of course, as you know, because the Grateful Dead is no longer together, Jerry Garcia passing away and kind of the toll that it took on him as the main figurehead of the band. And he didn't really want to, the band to have a figurehead at all. Mm. He was kind of like, it was the perfect kind of encapsulation of the sixties where it was like, Oh, let's just make art. Let's just make music and kind of be this shambling entity mm. and decisions will just kind of be team made. Yeah. And it was just really interesting to see how the band evolved. And unfortunately some of the sad turns that it took, yeah. um, but it's really well made. The guy who made the documentary, Amir Barlev, he's also made oddly enough, happy Valley, which is a documentary about the Penn state football scandal. Wow. Um, he made that, he made a tip, a Tillman story and my kid could paint that. So oh, yeah, he's got sure. quite the pedigree of documentary films. This was executive produced by Martin Scorsese, who mm. I think at one time might've been actually going to make a documentary about the dead, like he yeah. did about Bob Dylan, but Amir Barlev took it over. And, um, I think, but it, he's definitely listed as the director, but it's, it's just really well made. It is almost four hours, mm. but I, I think it's, if you like music documentaries, even if you don't like particularly like the Grateful Dead, I think this is uh, well worth a watch. And it, you know, unfortunately plays all too often into the sad trope of somebody who gets really famous and then the fame kind of kind of kills them. Yeah. Mm. Um, but it has a lot of they interview all the surviving members of the band, lots of people that had been roadies for the Grateful Dead that have fascinating stories. Just it was really just really well made. So long, strange trip. Long, strange trip. Mm -hmm. And then I recommended Stakeout. So two very fit different films. Yes. But both, it sounds like, worth your time to check out if you're looking for something to uh, to watch in the coming days. We hope, uh, hope those recommendations were helpful for you. So that is our show for today, Chris. We have hit Wonder Woman. We hit... Their, their finest. finest. Yes, kind of a strange title, but Man, yes, their finest. I had the hardest time remembering the title <laughs> of that movie. That's for you marketing people out there. If somebody has a hard time remembering the name of your movie or Not using the right sign. words, that's a bad sign about your title. Work on that. Uh, so we talked about those two films. We had some news items to cover and then our recommendations, Stakeout and Long Strange Trip. We both recommend checking out those films. So again, this has been Foot Candle Films on the Mesh.tv. The Mesh is a network of podcasts. So you have various shows on the Mesh.tv website. And we recommend you go and check out not only our show and archive 
of back episodes, but also go check out some of the other podcasts on the network. See if there's anything of interest to you. Again, that's at themesh.tv, T-H-E-M-E-S-H dot TV. And if Chris, if somebody did want to get a hold of us or communicate with us in any way, how would you, uh, how would you recommend they do so? Best way is to drop us an email at info at themesh.tv. Just uh, write an email about what you like, didn't like about the show or movies you might want us to check out and just uh, put foot can on the subject line and we'll uh, try to get back with you on that. Also, Alan and I are both on Letterboxd where we try to keep somewhat of a journal about the films that we're watching and maybe write short reviews. You can also leave us notes on our individual letterbox reviews if you want to get in contact with us. And that's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D. So you leave out that last E there. Um, otherwise, there's also, Alan had mentioned before, 